This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, yeah, look, I think this is the fact that this question is even being asked and we have the opportunity to, to answer it is something that I don't want to take for granted because about a m- month and a half ago, Matt Potcher was not on anybody's radar. The Bruins having a number, a top two center of the future outside of Zaka potentially was not on anybody's radar. And I want to express why that's so important because for 15 years – and 20 years for Bergeron, right? Maybe even 17 years, Bergeron and Krejci were together. Um, the Boston Bruins had one of the best one-two combinations up the middle in the entire National Hockey League for almost two two full decades. And they're both Boston Bruins Hall of Famers. Um, they're both all centennial players for the Bruins, as Scott's well aware of. But neither one of those players ever eclipsed 80 points in a season, their entire career. Neither one of them was ever a point per game player in the regular season, their entire career. The reason I say this is not to, to, to bash what they've done. I, I mean, I'm their biggest fans. What I'm saying is the Bruins are in need of a number one and a number two center on their team. They're not in need of the number one center in the league. Right, like Patrice Bergeron was on the Bruins, and he was a you know he was a, certainly the you know one of the best two way forwards of his generation, and, and at all times one of the t- top two way centers in the game. But he always played in a league with Stamkos, Crosby, uh, McDavid, Matthews. Like like he always had guys around him at his position that offensively were were elite, where he was just a notch you know below them offensively, but his defensive game was insane. So all I'm trying to say is like we don't need Patra and Zaka to be 80 plus point scorers if they want to be number one, number two centers of the Bruins. They need to be responsible two way forwards that can put up you know 50 to 70 points because I mean that's what Bergeron and Krejci did offensively. They averaged probably around 70 points, 65 points a year, and 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 it was good enough to make the Bruins the best at that position for almost 20 years in the league. So if Patra and, 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 and Zaka, not that they have to be Bergeron and Krejci, but if they can be two-way responsible players that are capable of scoring around 60 points a year, 60 to 70, then that's all. That's the formula that the Bruins had for 20 years where you can build around those, play, uh, those pieces. Now, one could argue the Bruins didn't win as much as they should have, so maybe there's something to be said about having a true like top player in the world, but guess what? Only one or two teams in the league can have that 
Connor McDavid, Connor Bedard type player. So um, I think that this is the big if, and then, Scott, you mentioned it's only been two games, but if Patra and if Zaka, if you can see the writing on the wall that those two players can be, you know, 55 to 75 point players in this league at 19 years old and 26 years old, as Bridget mentioned earlier, then I think, yeah, I don't think you need to go out and get an Elias Lindholm because how much better is Elias Lindholm right now than Matt Patra in two, three years? So it's a huge development for them. And, you know, you always want to improve your team. And if there's a deal to be made out there, you know, always you want to explore it. But I think, yeah, I think the Bruins potentially could just be in a position where they're, they may have found their, their, their replacements for Bergeron and Krejci a year after them retiring. Yeah and, yeah, and let's stick with the – oh, Scott, did you have something to say about that? Uh, just the last thing I was going to touch on was the D part of that. So, yeah, I think, you know, uh, because at Shirley Boy, which is just a great Twitter handle, no idea what it means, but um, mentioned Lori in the top four. And, yeah, I think like we all expect that, you know, to also be a thing by next season. You know, Lori probably going to be in the NHL at some point this year. And certainly if he moves his way into a top four role for next year, then however you decide to line it up, like you're all set there with McAvoy, Lindholm, Carlo, Lori. If Lori's development goes the way we expect this year, that's a great top four. And then you can fill in your third pairing really however you want, because Forbert's contract is up at the end of the season. Grizzlix is up at the end of the season. Chad and Kirk only signed a one-year deal. So whether it, whether it's bringing any of those guys back or going in a new direction, you would also have flexibility on defense too. And, um, you know, I think like they could spend a little bigger if they, you know, wanted to try to really strengthen their defense. Um, or you can fill in your third pairing really just however you see fit. Like, you know, if you want an offensive guy in there somewhere, you can go find one. If you want, some toughness like you can get that so um they should have some op- some flexibility on defense as well uh with a, again without the need to like spend huge which is a real luxury for Don Sweeney to have which you know to to have the money to spend to fill in your roster without having to like overcommit or desperately stretch yourself for one of the real top players on the market yeah, basically, if you don't have to spend for a top six forward or a top four defenseman, then you're putting yourself in a good position to not have to spend a lot of money. And I think those roles, if you consider Jake DeBrusque, if we just put him in the category of resigning, obviously things are different. You might need a top six forward if he doesn't. But if he does, then you have all those spots locked up um, and the money you have to spend is much less. So um I want to keep with, we had a few questions about Patra, so I just want to hit those first. Um, So the next mailbag question is, let's see, which Patra question do we want? Um, So this one is more of like a logistic one. I think we can answer this pretty quickly. Uh, Question from Jim that left this comment on YouTube. He said, are there any options for Patra if the Bruins keep him past the 10 game limit, but then he hits a rookie wall in February and March. So um, I can answer this, Scott. I know you can answer this as well. Yeah. First off, shout out to Jim because he's one of my friends. So um, 
Jim no, left no. us like seven questions. Yeah, I know. We're getting to all of them, but we'll definitely get to this one. Yeah. So appreciate Jim filling up our mailbag. Um, but yeah, so for Patra, uh, yeah, they can send him back to juniors after the 10 games too. The The reason that nine game timetable is important is because once he plays his 10th game, hit the first year of his entry level contract starts. And that burns that year off his entry level deal, no matter what happens after that. So if, you know, you keep him for a 10th game and then he sucks the next five and you send him down after 14 games, well, you, the first year of his ELC is still gone. So you would still only have two years of control after. So that's, that's why that nine game matters. Um, But they, they could send him back to juniors after later in the season at some point and you could call him back up so like they could send him down after 20 games and he plays two months down there and he's just tearing it up and they have you know they decide hey you know what we need him back like you know we could really use him in our lineup they could then bring him back up some point later in the season so it's similar to how you can call a player up and down from providence except in Patra's case, it's not Providence. It's going to be the Guelph Storm in the OHL. And there's a real disincentive to do that because you don't want to burn that that first contract year. Um, so I I don't think they're going to need to have this discussion because I think he's going to stay. I have a really hard time imagining him going back down at this point. And I think everybody here agrees with that. It's a it's a good question by Jim, though, just for for people who were who are wondering. And also, while we're giving shout outs, I also want to thank my mom for sending us the question about uh, Patra and the Bruins. Yeah. <laughs> Did your girlfriend send one too? It, mm-hmm. it, is your mom at Charlie Boy? <laughs> yeah, I told her to change that that tag. It's, I was like, mom, people are gonna know what is that? She's like, don't worry about it. It's my alias. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a, it's just an alias. So our other question about Patra and this one, this one I had been thinking about, like ever since I read this question, I kind of was thinking about it. We have um, an email that Scott received from Scott, who listens to our podcast out in Seattle. So thank you, Scott. He said, do you think Monty will give Patra a shot on the first line with Pasternak and JVR or possibly a Marshawn Patra pasta line? Um, and I've been thinking about it and, and, you know, Scott, our, our viewer, Scott, not this Scott, uh, likes the idea because of the comparison between Patra and Krejci, uh, and how, just how well Pasternak has worked with Krejci over the years, maybe try and see if the chemistry exists between Patra and Pasta, which is just fun to say also. Um, So I've been thinking about it a lot and I really do think give this a a period or two of trial. Um, If we're already throwing the lines in the blender, like it looked like at practice, I want to see what it looks like. Yeah. I I certainly think you could see it at some point, especially if Pacha sticks around past nine games. Um, I don't think there's any rush because I think they like Zaka and Pastanak's chemistry together going back to last season. I think even though Montgomery's already changing that line, I think that's been a pretty good line so far. Um, 
So, yeah, it could happen at some point. Obviously, we did see Patra with Pasternak a little bit in the preseason. Or did he, I'm trying to think? Did he get a game? I know he got some practices there. I don't remember if he actually played a game there, but I think Scott, you might remember, um, but I think they also got some time together in the national game because of all the special teams. I think there may have been a few five on five shifts after. Yeah, actually, I think you're right. And I think it may have been geeky with them. I think or Lucic, no geeky. I think it was geeky and Pasternak. I don't remember, but they did get a couple yeah. five on five shifts together. I do not foresee a Lucci Patra Pasta line happening at any point, but <laughs> certainly not with any consistency. But but he was trying to Montgomery was just trying to get some people um, on the ice that were on the bench during the penalty kills. Yeah, uh, I, I think you're right. I think that was the combo because I think those are the three guys who weren't used at all on special teams. Um, so he threw them out there for for a shift right after. But yeah, you, certainly you can see how Patra's playmaking combines with Pasternak to form a good tandem. Um, you know, yeah, there's, there can be a lot of, you know, tryouts and, and moving things around because this whole Ford group is not as settled as last year. There's not, you know, a Bergeron and Marchand who always play together or Krejci and Pasenak who have chemistry. Like these are all relatively new combinations and different wings with different centers. So yeah, if Zach and Pasternak are, you know, they're a little bit slow for a while and not really producing, sure, you could see that. Um, I also think, you know, it's it'll, it's interesting because I think right now when you look at, like, the lines that they broke up Monday in practice, DeBrusque, Zaka, Pasternak kind of feels like the clear, you know, quote-unquote number one line. But I think if you end up in that situation where it's like, now you're going to put Potra with Pasenak and maybe it's Martian and Zaka. It's, it's fine to like not have a clear number one. Like I don't, even if Pat Potra ends up in that situation, I don't know that he's going to suddenly be playing 20 minutes a night, like a number one center. You can still kind of manage his shifts and keep it, you know, five on five second power play and, you know, sort of manage him a little bit that way. And like, not dump too heavy of a workload on him. I do think it's funny and I keep thinking of this, but I kind of feel like he's already reverted back on this, but Montgomery said he wanted to make fewer line changes this season, like tamper with the lines less this season because he wanted to create chemistry because there wasn't a set, you know, situation. He was going to try to build it by keeping people together. But first of all, I don't, I don't think he's going to end up doing that. And second of all, I don't think it's the right thing to do um, when you especially are in this window of trying Patra wherever you can possibly try him to see what, like whether or not he's somebody that you want to keep um, and where he might fit best. I, I think it makes sense to keep rotating and, and changing and checking. And uh, so far, you know, They've won the first two games. They have these opportunities on this road trip against teams that you're not going to get fit in the rear end as much if you're kind of tampering a little bit. Um, so I think that this road trip is a perfect time to try something like that. So maybe we see um, Patra play with Pasternak a little bit on this four-game road trip out west. I definitely think there's a, there's a happy medium to it. I mean, you certainly can't have a team with – I mean, 
what seems like half the forwards are new to this team and just run with the same lines. I mean, you got to see what you have. Um, but at the same time, you can't just, you can't see if anybody has chemistry if you're constantly changing lines every game. So I think in a perfect situation, perfect situation, you want to, you want to run with some lines to see what you have and then give them, you know, 20 games together, whatever. I mean, but there's always injuries, right? Um, the other thing you don't want to have happen is have everybody so used to playing with their specific line mates that, you know, God forbid there's injury, which happens all the time, or you just need to shake things up in the playoffs or whatever. And guys don't have chemistry together. Like I, I liked the fact that last year, the Bruins forwards seemed to have chemistry with everybody else in the forward group because they all played together at one point or another throughout the regular season for injuries or, or performance. And so it's good that if something happens, guys have familiarity with, with their, with their teammates, no matter what, but where Montgomery ran into trouble last year was just, you know, in the playoffs, just literally going away from what he did all he like, he, he just got to the playoffs and just, you know, changed everything from what was working. It just, I, it wasn't. And I, and, and I know post deadline, there were some personnel changes and then there was injuries and it was not as black and white as I'm making it appear. But throughout the regular season, I have no issue working with what you have, see what sticks to get you, you know, into the playoffs and get you a win on any given night. It's when you get to the postseason, you want to be a little bit more consistent if things are working. Okay, and there was a second part to Scott from Seattle's question, which also I had been thinking about, which is um, thoughts on these D pairings. McAvoy Lindholm as the top pairing. Second pairing of Carlo Lorai, and then a third pairing of Shattenkirk Forbert. Would that be something that you could run with? Um, obviously, Grizzlick is the one left out of that equation. So um, I think the main question revolves around the Carlo Lorai pairing and what we think of that because we did get to see that in preseason. Um, Scott, we'll go to you first. Yeah, and the other thing that Scott included there was. He says trade Grizzly for draft capital that can be used for a depth piece of the trade deadline if when the bees are ready for a run. Um, I, I certainly think Lori Carlo could end up being a pairing. To me, Lori fits either place in the top four, whether it's next to McAvoy and you keep Lindholm Carlo together, or next to Carlo and you put you load up Lindholm and McAvoy in the top pair. Um, those those both work for me. Like Putting him next to Carlo, the you know where that could really help is Carlo can really be the security blanket, and Laura can get involved offensively, which is his strength, and maybe take some more chances where he doesn't, you know, he knows Carlo's going to be back there covering. If it's with McAvoy, then it that requires, you know, as we see with Grizzlick and McAvoy, where they both have to be aware of what the other one's doing, and you know, there's going to be times where they're both jumping into the offense. And that's great because it adds to your attack, but you have to be aware when the situation calls for you to be the one to stay back. So um, I think both are options, you know, and certainly could be options this year. So to the second part of it about, you know, potentially trading Grizzly, like I've said before, I am in absolutely no rush to trade away my depth on defense because you, every season you inevitably have to tap into that depth at some point. Uh, 
last year was last year that stretch where the Bruins went like two months with the exact same decor and Jacob Zaboral was just a healthy scratch every game. Like that's the outlier that almost never happens. So, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's Grizzly rotating in and out of the lineup with forward or Shan Kirk or like, however it shakes out. Uh, I do think we're going to see Lori at some point. It's just, what are the circumstances that lead to it? Is it, is it an injury to someone, which is, you know, the most obvious one, or is it that he's just playing so well in Providence that he forces their hand? Does someone in Boston struggle? Like any or all of those could lead to Lori coming up. And, and I do think once he's here, it's probably in the top four. Like, I don't, not that he couldn't play next to say Kevin Shattenkirk, but I don't think that's the ideal role for him. So I agree with you, Scott. I'm I'm in no rush to deplete the Bruins' depth on defense. And obviously you mentioned last year was a bit of an anomaly with the health that they had. But I also think back to to April of, of 2017 when, uh, you know, you had Tory Krug, I think, was out. Adam McQuaid went down. Colin Miller went down. I think there was – I think the Bruins were down for their top six defensemen that year in that first round against Ottawa. Um, so you always want depth and, and, and yeah, like I'm for the 2022 or 2023, 2024 Bruins, I'm in no rush to, like you said, get rid of Grizzly. but where, where you have to consider it is that I believe he's a UFA after this season. Is that correct? So you would potentially be at risk of losing him to free agency for nothing. If you decide to hold on to him and, 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 and value that depth this year. So I guess it's, it's just a matter of if Lori comes up and he's in a top four role and your third pair is Grizzly and Shattenkirk or Forbert and Shattenkirk or whatever, um, you know, maybe there's a, there's a, there's a decision to be made based off of asset management while they're still, you know, um, under contract. So that's the only thing aside from that, you know, I have no issue with if Matt Grizzly is a, or Mason Lorai is your seventh defenseman on a given night, that's pretty damn good depth. So um, ideally, they're both in the lineup at the same time. Like my my ideal combination would be a top four of, you know, McAvoy, Lindholm, Lorai, and Carlo, and then your your third D pair is, is Grizzlick and, and Shattenkirk. I think that's your most skilled top six that you can put out, you can put out there on any given night, even right now, though Lorai's in Providence. So Anyway, I would echo Scott's sentiment. Don't want to trade him, but if 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 it comes down to losing him for nothing, and and you feel like Lori is a significant piece and whatever, you have to make it a hard decision potentially. So, how would you guys respond to losing him for potentially nothing in the off season? Well, actually, I I I will react to that secondly. But first of all, I just want to say, as a pair, um, Carlo Lori is just a massive pair. So Carlo is 6'5 and Lorai is 6'4. And whenever I stand next to either of them, I feel like just a tiny little kid. Um, And so uh, when we did get a chance to see them together in the preseason, they took up a lot of space. They have a lot of reach. They have, you know, neither of them are, neither of them are the fastest defensemen, but they're not that slow either. So you have a little bit of speed there and you have guys that are just 
massive. And Carlo is obviously more of the shutdown kind of guy. He's going to be relied upon and he's a veteran now. So he knows when he may need to recover for someone like Lorai, who's still learning the system or still learning when to drop and when to pinch and different things like that. So I actually really liked the look that they had in, in preseason and I could see that being a successful pairing for them. Um, and I, I personally would like to get a chance to see it, but something that Scott mentioned is that if you're going to bring Laura up, you're going to bring him up for a large amount of time. You're not just going to like stunt his development and keep him as your seventh defenseman. You're going to want him to continue his development. So you got to really make that decision that you're going to give him real minutes if you do bring him up. Um, so that would mean that you're either having Grizzly or Forbert or Shattenkirk as your seventh defenseman in that case. And then Ian Mitchell um, would be out of the picture. Maybe he clears waivers and goes to Providence. Maybe he gets picked up on waivers. Um, I guess that's the question. So Brian, to your, your question about Grizzly, letting him go for nothing is obviously not ideal, but we saw the situation last season when the Bruins were really, truly the, the top contender and they didn't want to sacrifice depth on defense for any reason. Um, I think that if they're in that position that they really think that they have a chance to make a, a decent run at that point in the year, they may not, they may do the same thing and not sacrifice it. Cause if at that point, say Grizzly, cause you're a seventh defenseman and Ian Mitchell got picked up on waivers you are really shorthanded in terms of depth there, unless you're going to bank on Zaboral coming in and, and being a playoff defenseman for you. So I think it's a big risk to trade him at the deadline. Um, and it all depends on how the season goes up till that point. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. <clears throat> this is Scott's flu game. He's been battling. Oh, for God. The last days. Yeah, this is brutal. Um, sorry. Sorry, listeners. But yeah, that, that's exactly the key is is how is the season going? Because if you're in it and you look like a contender and you feel, you know, like you're right in the mix, then I'm not worried about potentially losing Grizzly for nothing because I'm just worried about what gives me my best team this season. Uh, if you're more on the fringe, then maybe you entertain the idea of, you know, sell-offs. You're not, you're not going to go full selling but hey if Grizzly's kind of the seventh guy or we feel comfortable playing six guys ahead of him then maybe you look at trading him because you know you're not you're not quite all in and and you might want to recoup some of that draft capital because hey look next year they're still really short on draft capital so uh if if that's the case if they're kind of like on the bubble in out then sure you entertain that and see what's out there. Um, if you're first or second in the division come February, then you're, you're just adding and you're trying to make a run this year. And, you know, if there's a hockey trade involving Grizzly, maybe it upgrades your wing or something. Um, that makes sense. But otherwise, like, I'm not, I'm not going to trade them just to try to get something in return. If I think that keeping Grizzly helps make us a better team heading down the stretch. And actually that perfectly transitions into a question that we got from Griffin who wanted to consider a trade, propose a trade that would involve sending Grizzly or Forbert. So 
it said thoughts on a potential trade for Connor Garland. Um, let's say Grizzly or Forbert plus a little bit more for Garland at one to two million dollars retained. Um, plus Jack Rathbone. This is this is a like a, a complex trade that's being proposed, but um so and then the idea to call up Lori. So um I don't know how much you guys have looked into Connor Garland or what he could help with at the trade deadline compared to the benefit of having that defensive depth. Yeah. So here's just some, some cliff notes on Connor Garland. So people kind of have, have a better idea here. Uh, well, one, he's, he's local. He's from situate. Um, two, he's 27 years old signed for this year and two more at 4.95 million a year. Uh, has a really good five on five scoring numbers and is, is a good two-way player as a wing. Um, over the last three seasons, he is 53rd in the NHL in five on five points per 60 minutes. And if you want to get an idea of like what that range is, here are the names around him. Nazem Kadri, Sidney Crosby, Clayton Keller, Patrice Bergeron, Connor Garland, Chandler Stevenson, Elias Lindholm, Matt Barzell, Evgeny Malkin. Um, obviously I'm not saying like his all around game is on the level of those guys, but on a five on five, like rate scoring basis, that's the company that he's in. Um, he doesn't play much on either special teams. So he's almost, you're kind of exclusively bringing him in as a five on five player. But, you know, if we're talking about potentially the Bruins looking to upgrade at wing, say, you know, James Van Riemsdyk doesn't stick in the top six or isn't producing like a top six forward or Morgan Geeky doesn't stick. Like, it's easy to see how the Bruins could be looking for an upgrade on the wing. Um, I think Garland would, would be a good target. He he is available. The Canucks have made that very clear. Uh, they they want to free up salary. So, and he's been sort of the, the clear name on the trading block for a while. Um, Elliot Friedman, just within like the last couple of days, reported that the Columbus Blue Jackets, Nashville Predators, and Winnipeg Jets are among the teams that have shown interest. But trades are always hard to make early. Like Vancouver, I think, would want to make this trade as soon as possible. But trades are always hard to make early in the season because teams don't have much cap space and they just set their opening night roster. And most teams kind of want to see how that looks for a while before they start wheeling and dealing. I mean, I like Garland a lot. I think he's a water bug. I think he works hard. He creates havoc. Scott mentioned where he kind of lays as far as, far as his position in the league with five on five. Um, I mean, Scott mentions he's a, he's more of a five on five player. Well, so is Grizzlick at this stage. And again, like don't want to take away from the Bruins depth, but this is a, this is a hockey trade, right? So if it was Grizzlick, for example, in this would only be as as, as the uh, the question poses, like if 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 Lori was was on the big club, right? So if he's on the team, he's top four, making an impact. That's that's where the scenario is, you know, is painted. So in that scenario, yeah, I, look, I think it's like maybe you do if you're bringing back Karna Garland, who's a you know really solid middle six second line you know potentially first line player at times like 
and the, and the cost is, you know, a couple of months of Grizzlick, who let's be honest, has not been a great playoff performer as it is. And then he's going to be a UFA. And I don't see the Bruins maybe resigning Grizzlick anyway, if Laura is in their future plans, I just don't know if it's going to happen. So I think it's, I think it's an interesting um, scenario. And I would probably, depending on how things are shaking out, if it's, Look, you always want to try to improve your hockey team, especially at the trade deadline if you're a playoff team. And if, if Mason Laura is in your top four and you haven't skipped a beat and the cost is, you know, Forbert or Grizzlick, but you insert Connor Garland, I mean, you absolutely, I think you have to strongly consider it. 